Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, I like to give a big hello and shout out to all of our listeners here. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our shows here where we try to um, talk about the Catholic faith and really in, in this show in particular, how our faith pertains, pertains to our health. And what I always like to remember is that we're both uh, body, mind, and spirit. And so our health has to be all three. That's the way God made us and, and God made it so that all three of these things can can take a hit. They can take a, a beating, um, you know, but they can also recover. And I think more than anything else, that's what we really want to focus on is we want to focus on our healing. We want to focus on recovering. One of the things that can be challenging is every time we talk about healing, um, <clears throat> we think about, you know, wounds and, and hurt and, and uh, what we're healing from. And it's very easy to ho- focus on what we're healing from and not and kind of forget about what we're going to be healing towards, uh, if that makes sense, you know, because a lot of times when, when we're in the process of healing, when I see people in the hospital, when I see people in the clinic, uh, when people come to me for advice, it's very easy to say, gosh, this is what's happening to me. This is where I'm sick and I need to heal from this. And we start focusing on our, on our illness and not necessarily like I want to heal in order to. And that's kind of what I want to focus on the show today a little bit in terms of mental health, spiritual health. Um, and this can be applied to physical health as well. Um, you know, what is it that we're healing towards? Um, but before, let's get started. Let's start with a prayer. Uh, let's start with a, uh, a prayer to Our Lady so that she can intercede for us here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We'll say in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that ever was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To thee we come, before thee we stand, simple and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we get started on today's show, you know, we've talked about mental health. We've talked about a lot of different topics on this show. One of the things that's hard to capture um, is what does it mean to live with illness or, or what does it mean to live with mental health issues or physical health issues for that matter? People can have chronic physical health issues and spiritual health issues as well. You know, th- this came up because um, as a topic of conversation, it's hard to capture that in today's society. We have so many things that we're worried about, you know, we're worried about, um, you know, being at home, we're worried about what's going on politically, we're worried about different things. And a lot of people want to have a voice and they, and they want to be heard and rightfully so, you know, there's different groups coming up and they want to be heard. But sometimes, uh, one of the questions is who's going to be the voice for the voiceless. I think that that's what a lot of what, um, different groups come out of, they feel like they don't have a voice. Well, when it comes to mental health, I wonder how many people who, who suffer from depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, psychosis, um, how many of them have a voice? 
And then how many, I've got a few patients who, who suffer from different illnesses where they really don't have a voice because it's considered, you know, while it's a mental illness, the consequences of having addictions, uh, not just to drugs, but a lot of people that I treat have sexual addictions, you know, addictions to pornography, uh, addictions to uh, thoughts of, of abusing uh, even children. And we have to treat them, but they're really not going to have a voice um, because nobody wants to hear about that because obviously the consequences of that um, are, are criminal. Um, and so it's important, but who, who better when somebody's going to come out and say, I've got this problem. And if I'm really dealing with thoughts of that nature, um, who, who's going to listen to that? Where, where does somebody can, can, where can somebody safely say I'm having thoughts that are really, really not, um, appropriate that can be criminal in nature, but I don't want to get in trouble for it. I'm trying to heal it. It's just having this thought. And so one of the things that came up is, is I've been talking to, to different friends and whatnot. Um, and based on last week's show too, I got some very positive responses based on last week's show. We talked about, uh, St. Catherine of Bologna and the fact that she suffered with mental illness and she was able to be a saint, um, is really to give a voice, uh, to anybody suffering from mental illness and really what it means to live with mental illness. When I was looking online, because people have asked me, well, what do I do with this? You know, I, I can't talk to anybody about it. It's, it's really hard to live with this. Um, I was looking online and I was thinking, gosh, I wonder in the forums in different areas, because on the internet, people can kind of feel safe. It, it feels like a little bit more of an anonymous space that people can talk and actually say things. And that can be pros and cons, depending on uh, how you look at it. But when it comes to mental illness, I was looking at a few different things and I was looking at some forums. And I came across this article. It was an, it's not a new article, but then I think the experience of mental illness and illnesses in general transcends time. This article is from 2017. It came out on a website called The Mighty. I don't know much about the website. I just know that that's where I found it. And it was put together, and it's just called 27 Confessions of People Living with a Mental Illness. I thought it was interesting because it was just quotes from different people um, saying what their experience was like uh, in, in, as far as their, their level of mental illness. And if you feel alone, if you feel like you've suffered from mental illness and nobody gets you, um, it's, it's not a bad idea to see what else people are saying or what other things people are suffering, because sometimes those around us might not understand. They have to live with us too. It's interesting when we talk about living with mental illness, I can talk about and say, Hey, if I suffer from depression, if I suffer from psychosis or schizophrenia, you know, I have to live with that. Right. But I also am part of a family. I'm part of a group of friends and they kind of have to live with me too, because sometimes I might not be functioning well. I might be feeling depressed or, or I might have a moment of psychosis or I might have something happening if that's what people are experiencing. Um, and the people around us have to have to live with that as well. So living with mental illness can be a little bit of a challenge. But for those of you who are out there, I want to make sure that you don't feel alone, that you understand that even the great saints uh, experience some of this. Let me read some of these quotes because I think these will resonate uh, with people. One of the quotes that I found interesting was how hard every single moment can be, especially on bad days. It's absolutely exhausting to get out of bed, take a shower, put on clothes, drive to work, work for eight hours, dealing with patients who are sometimes rude, impatient, and condescending, drive home while I talk to my mom, who does not always understand my mental illness, on the phone about my day, make dinner, do household chores, be a wife and a friend. 
Now, this is interesting. I don't know who this person is, and they mentioned, you know, that they deal with patients. So I don't know what level of uh, work they had or, or, you know, when they were describing this, but yeah, obviously they're giving us a little, a little window into the, their line of work, and that could be dealing with patients. It could be trying to work in construction and build a house. It could be uh, working at a restaurant washing dishes. It could be, you know, working as an executive uh, for a company. Any job that we have, if, if somebody's living with mental illness, you know, this is an interesting quote because if you notice, uh, you know, when the person's asked, what's it like for you to live with mental illness, how hard every single moment can be. And I think that that's something people don't appreciate. You know, when it comes to other illnesses, it seems like physical ailments, the majority of them um, can either be limited if, you know, something's in the process of healing. Like I said, uh, somebody breaks a bone and it gets it gets put in place and it can be limited and, it, and we can survive. Or somebody comes in with an infection, we give antibiotic treatment for a little while and that goes away. But this is kind of like when somebody experiences a chronic physical illness, it's a lot easier to see if somebody's say confined to a wheelchair or has to walk with crutches or things of that nature. We're able to see that and I think that there's a level of sympathy that can come out with that um, from people around them. And they can say, gosh, you, you know, you look like you're having a tough time. Can I help you with that? Can I move this? Can I, you know, get that from the top, sh- top shelf for you if, you if you need help with something? You know, it's not that we're thinking the person's helpless, but, you know, sometimes it, it, if we can make somebody's life easier, that's great. I think when it comes to mental illness, it's a lot more hidden um, because I think that one of the, the things is every single moment can be hard, just like it can be for anybody with chronic physical illness. Um, but with mental illness, it's a lot harder, I think, for people around somebody, say, who suffers from depression, say that they've got debilitating depression, um, to understand that the person looks physically well. It looks like they can get up. It looks like they're thinking, you know, overall straight other than feeling depressed. Uh, there's no limits to what they can do physically. And this person describes something very well. It says, it's absolutely exhausting to get out of bed, take a shower, put on clothes, drive to work, and then work for eight hours. Well, let's stop before the work for eight hours. If somebody's suffering from depression, severe anxiety, things of this nature, um, the, this is the part where we talk about psychomotor retardation. And I know that um, I've got some some good responses from last show about people saying, gosh, you know, the, thank you for describing this because nobody seems to understand it. Listen to what this says. Exhausting to get out of bed, take a shower, put on clothes and drive to work. How long would it normally take somebody? How long would you expect somebody to do that in? Get out of bed, take a shower, put on clothes. I'll give them an hour, you know, to say, hey, get up in the morning, get an hour to get ready and, and be out and out the door and get to work. You know, by the time you kind of figure things out, if you're really quick, you can do it in half an hour. You know, I remember... Gosh, back in my younger days when I had more energy, I could get up and take a 10-minute shower, throw on some clothes real quick, and I was out the door within half an hour. I mean, that was not that big a deal. Imagine, however, um, that for some people, when they're saying, I have to go to work and I'll work for eight hours, imagine that all of a sudden it's a day that you don't have to go to work, that you're sitting there, it's a weekend, it's a Saturday, and you're thinking, there's nowhere I really need to be. Um, People might not get out of bed. Or if you give them a call and say, hey, you know, why don't we go catch a movie this afternoon? And, you know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. I'll give you 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, You're waking up on a Saturday and decided to stay in. And, you know, it's 9 o'clock and they're saying, yeah, you know, why don't we go out? I'll pick you up at 3 p.m. That person might say, I might be ready by then. And we're talking hours here. If somebody is between 9 and 3, we're looking at 6 hours. And that person would say, it might take me 6 hours and I might be ready. I don't even know if I'm going to be ready. That's a tough thing to understand 
for somebody who's not suffering from mental illness. And this is how debilitating it can be. And this is a challenging part of living with it because it kind of slows things down. Um, there's another one, another quote that was great. And it's like, what's, what's uh, like for you to live with mental illness? You know, I'm going to read this when we come back from the break. I hear we're coming back, we're coming up on the music, but more when we come back on different people's experiences, because I think this is good to hear. I think it's good to understand that we're not alone and it doesn't always feel good. Welcome back to the clinic here at the Dr. Louise Sandoval Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for joining us as always. If you have any questions for me, if you want to reach out and let me know if you like the show or if anything can be improved or there's a topic you'd like to talk about, feel free to email me at doctor, that's dr. Sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. That's doctor Sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. There is a period after the R in doctor, it's just a DR period. Um, really appreciate getting the, the feedback uh, from all of our listeners. I'll never share anything that's all confidential, kind of like in a clinic, unless you ever give me permission to. So I want you to feel comfortable about that. Um, if there's ever a topic that you want to bring up, um, everything will be anonymous unless anybody ever says, hey, yeah, I'd like you to share my story and I don't mind you using my name. Of course, everything will be anonymous. I always like to hear where you're writing to us from because I love the fact that here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we reach out to people widely. We have you know, a, a listener base uh, um, all around the world. And that's very impressive. And one of the things that I love about that, as I always say, is that it reminds me that we are a communion of saints. It's really one world and we're one people under Jesus Christ. And that's really what matters. Um, today, we're talking about what it's like to live with mental illness uh, as a whole in general, because I think a lot of times the voice of anybody who's suffering from mental illness, who's dealing with mental illness, who's trying to get better for mental illness, who wants to heal, um, those voices can kind of get lost uh, and, and nobody really wants to hear about it. And it's really hard to share about it. I was reading this article and I'm seeing a few quotes here that I think really will resonate with um, our listeners and anybody who might be going through this. But listen to this quote. So somebody's asked, what's it like for you to live with mental illness? They said, as I was a little talking, there's a different quote, but talking about this before the break, a serious lack of motivation. It's so much more than that, but I don't have the words to explain it. They always just end up thinking I'm lazy. And I think that's one of the hardest parts because one of the challenges with mental illness, and if you feel differently, let me know, send me an email and let me know if you feel differently. One of the challenges with mental illness is that it really masks who we are, right? Because when you're experiencing this, you're not acting, you don't feel like yourself and you can say that. How do I know this? Because whenever I treat patients, and we get them on the right medication, we get them on the right antidepressant, we get them on the right medication for anxiety, for bipolar, for schizophrenia. How do I know that they're getting better? It can take a little while because some of these medications might take you know, a few weeks to kick in, four or six weeks to kick in. But once they do and I ask the patients, hey, how's it going? They say, oh my gosh, so much better. The medication is working, it's doing its job. And I say, how do you know? What, what's the difference? What can you tell me the differences between being on the medication now and not being on it? They always say, I feel more like myself. I feel like myself again, which begs the question and tells me that when somebody is living with, suffering with mental illness, something is blocking them from being themselves. Something is blocking them from being to being able to interact with the world around them as themselves. 
Here's another important one. Um, what's it like for you to live with mental illness? And they say hospitalization. There is such a stigma surrounding hospitalization in a mental health facility. People think less of me or are even scared of me when they find out I was in a mental hospital. I almost never tell people about it, even though I know needing help is nothing to be ashamed of. You know, and that's the other thing that's important here. If you read this, I think not just being in the hospital, but I think that kind of takes it up a notch for the uh, general public who might not understand. But really getting any kind of treatment for uh, mental health, whether it be hospitalization, whether it be taking medication for it, I think the last sentence really speaks uh, loudly. It says, I almost never tell people about it, even though I know needing help is nothing to be ashamed of. I think the key word there is ashamed. Unfortunately, there's a sense of shame that's associated with anybody who has suffered with mental illness, anybody who says, gosh, you know, I've, I felt depressed in my life or I felt anxious. We don't talk about it. There's some, for whatever reason, there's a source of shame associated with like, like you did something wrong, almost like it was a sin. Um, and the main thing is, uh, for me as a physician, I don't think about this much because I deal with this every day. And if somebody comes to me and says, oh, I'm dealing with mental illness. Okay. Yeah, sure. That's what we deal with. Um, you know, or somebody says, Hey, I, I was in the hospital. Okay. Well, how many times have you been hospitalized? What were you in for? How are you doing now? I can see the healing portion as not getting away from mental illness, but working towards being able to live again. I don't think about that much. I don't think, I don't see somebody and say, Oh my gosh, you were hospitalized. What's going on? But granted I am a psychiatrist. This is what I deal with. And so for to me, it's my comfort level, right? I talk to somebody and I think, oh, okay, this is what we do. To me, it's no different than when I was working in the family clinic and somebody said, oh yeah, I had a big you know, ulcer on my shoulder and you know, I had to get the cyst out or something and it got totally infected. And I'm like, okay, well, what'd you do? You can take your antibiotics, it's healed now, it's looking better. Yeah, it doesn't mean that the person can't get another infection in the future and might not need antibiotics again, but I can understand clearly that you know, it's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't make a big difference in terms of who they are, what they're doing or what's going on. I think when it comes to mental illness though, I see it the exact same way. So you had an episode, there was a depression or an anxiety, or you needed to be hospitalized. You had an acute episode and now you're healed and now you can move on and live your life. The problem comes when society or friends, people around us, people who don't understand, will all of a sudden take that and that's it. All of a sudden you're labeled and you're completely either depression or you are anxiety or you are bipolar or you are suicidal ideation. And that's what gets really hard because I think being labeled is one of the most challenging things to helping anybody move ahead or feel like they're alive. How is somebody going to get past the idea that they had an episode of depression and all of a sudden people say, oh, you are depressed. Oh, this is what you're like. Um, another big challenge is when people aren't feeling good or they're not having a good day. And this is really unfair. This goes out to the family members who, uh, or friends or anybody who is considered a family member or friend and wants to support somebody with mental illness. I think one of the worst things that we can do is ask somebody if they're having a fit of uh, frustration, of rage, of, of the, where they're not feeling well. I think one of the worst questions you can say is, have you taken your pills? Because that can come across in different ways. We can use it as a, as a knife, as a verbal wound, you know, to make the person really feel bad and almost a sense of humiliation because we know that unfortunately there is a sense of shame with that. It can be a source of healing though, because it depends on how we ask that question. If somebody's not doing well and we come from a, a place of wanting to help them and we say, Hey, how are you doing? Okay, let's slow down. Let's take a break. Let's take a step back. Let's see how we can help you out. Tell me what's going on. Are you on your medication or not? Where are you at? If we do it from a, a place of assessment of trying to see how can I help you? I think that that can be very healing, you know, and, and we can say it's not a judgment call. I'm just asking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see how I can help you out best versus when we use it as a way to really, you know, 
ignore the person or tell them, you know, you don't make any sense. I'm not going to listen to you. Whatever you say is wrong. You don't take your pills. We can use that as, as a way to attack people um, and make them feel bad about themselves and in, in a way win an argument. But it's kind of a sneaky way to do that because it's not fair. Um, it's not fair. So another quote that I thought was important from here, the unexplainable pain you feel all day, the tears that fall from your eyes without reason. It's so hard for me to explain to people as they will never understand. They feel it's in my head and I need to snap out of it. So that's another one that can be very challenging. And this one, uh, the snap out of it part, right? So when people are dealing with mental illness, if you're suffering through a depression, nothing feels good. You know, the unexplainable pain you feel all day, there is a pain associated with depression and it's actually a physical pain. It's not just a mental pain, but there's actually a physical pain, which is why the body kind of slows down and shuts down and doesn't want to move. But I think on the, on the flip side is how do I live with this when people expect me to just kind of snap out of it and I can't, right? What if all of a sudden I need to take a break? What if all of a sudden I need to take a little bit of time off work or something? Are people going to see me as a ticking time bomb? And that's, what's really hard. I think anybody suffering with depression, what I would say is on, on the one hand, I do encourage you to, to get help if, if help is going to uh, help you heal and it's going to help you function correctly. If medications are going to help you function correctly, I hate to think of anybody think taking medication and feeling like it's a crutch, like they're hurting and, and they need to take this and, uh, and they don't want to take it because they're, and that means that there's bad, there's something wrong with them. So then they stop taking it. That can be really challenging because, uh, if somebody's suffering from mental illness, taking the medications, helping not only yourself, but people around you to understand you better, especially if it's going to make you feel like yourself. But it can be so hard when, if you are experiencing a moment of anxiety, say a panic attack, or let's say that you're experiencing a moment of depression, and all of a sudden people tell you to snap out of it, there's no flip of a switch. You know, this is where it can get really hard on both sides because mental illness, you can't see it. Um, it's, It's more of an experience. You see the effects of it. You see what happens to the person as an effect of mental illness, but you can't see what the person's going through. Um, another person said, and this is kind of on the same vein, my sadness out of fear that others will judge me because of how minimal these problems seem to be. Little do they know these small problems are much bigger for someone like me. I'm constantly told, do not beat myself up. That's nothing to cry over or you'll get over it later. Sharing is hard when certain people can't understand what it's like to be in your shoes. And I think that that's the crux of it too. I think one of the things that we have to understand from the outside looking in is just that one of the things that happens, and this can be really hard to deal with on both sides of the fence, uh, when it comes to say, say, say depression, somebody who's depressed, believe it or not, the smallest things will set that person off and make it seem like the whole world's over. I know that we talked about this last week and I know that St. Catherine of Bologna experienced that and she shared that in her book um, where she talked about the seven weapons she used against the devil. Uh, but that's that's something that's huge because literally if I, if somebody were to come into my clinic and I were to, I think I used this example before, if I were to tell them, you know, I don't know that I like those shoes. It's a new style, but nah, it just doesn't suit me. But hey, if you want to wear them, that's great. It could be for the rest of the day. It could be for the rest of the week that their whole mindset is thrown off and they're not going to know what to do because they're, because I, somebody told them that they didn't like their shoes that they liked, but that seemed like such a big deal. And guess what? Everything else gets pushed aside, you know, maybe even paying bills. If you're a student studying for your test, getting your finals done, things like that, that gets pushed aside over this one tiny little thing that if you listen to what this person said, get over, you'll get over it later. That's nothing to cry over. 
Sure, if you're not experiencing depression, well, that's not going to cry over. If you like your own clothes or you like what you're doing or you like the pen you're using, I could tell somebody, I don't like that pen you're using. And all of a sudden they could feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired because I'm using the wrong pen. That's how intense some of these symptoms can be. That's hard to live with. That's hard, that's hard to live with on both ends of things because I think when we say, gosh, that's not a big deal, in a way we're trying to, some people can try to be dismissive, but some people can be trying to help out and say, let's refocus here. That's not a big deal. But the brain for somebody suffering from mental illness in that moment might not be able to refocus. It might not be able to, quote unquote, snap out of it. And that's something that, that we really need to uh, uh, address. Um, <clears throat> and this, so this is a quote that kind of addresses to that. It says, sometimes I need people to just pay attention to what kind of emotional responses they need to give me when I am in a meltdown or freaking out. Instead of me having to tell them how they need to approach me in that situation, sometimes I wish they would just think to themselves, okay, She's anxious right now, hold her hand and tell her she's safe and everything will be okay. Or say something like, she's having a mood swing right now and having trouble calming down. Speak calmly to her. Tell her to go have a quiet time before talking more. I really have trouble communicating how bad I feel at times and what I need from people in those moments. And it can be very hard because this is really, what I really like about this quote is that it speaks to, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm asking you to do for me. One of the challenging, challenging things uh, that can be really hard is that if somebody is having a meltdown or they are having a moment, um, it's hard to know what they're going to need at that moment too. It's a little bit of a, of a guessing game. But then the question is, if somebody's around them, are we going to take that time to guess to play the game, to, to guess the game? And I don't mean play it in, in a mean way. What I mean is, am I going to take the time to slow down and not think about myself in the moment. I think that's one of the things that really helped me, I gotta say, when I was working in the emergency department, um, whenever somebody came in and they were really in a psychotic state, one of the things that I have to do when I go into that room because the person's flailing, yelling, saying swear words, something, I gotta take a step back and realize they're not yelling at me, they're just not in a good place, and I'm here to help them out. Hopefully we can do that for our friends and family as well. More when we come back on Living With Mental Illness. All right, well, welcome back to the clinic here at the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, I love uh, thanking our listeners for all your support. Uh, if you ever want to donate, give us a call here at the station, or you can go online um, and let us, uh, and you know, if you're feeling generous, if you're feeling like you want to have this work continue, we always appreciate that. Um, if you have any questions for me again, you can always email me at doctor, that's dr. Sandoval vmpr at gmail.com. Um, today we're talking about living with mental illness and what that really means. Um, and it means different things to different people. You know, there's no, there's no one right or wrong. I found an interesting article and I like having a voice here for anybody who is suffering from mental illness because it's hard for somebody if they are feeling depressed, if they are feeling uh, anxious or if they feel like they need um, uh, some kind of support in terms of their mental health to even speak about it because they're afraid that they're going to be judged. They're afraid of what people might think. One of the biggest challenges too is for any of our friends or families who's supporting somebody with mental illness is understanding the symptoms. There was a very important quote um, here from somebody who said, a lot of people don't realize you might hear voices with major depression. And this is very true. You actually can hear voices if you have major depressive, major depressive disorder, um, especially if it's been going on for a long time, it has not been treated. 
um, you can actually start to hear voices. It doesn't necessarily mean you're schizophrenic, uh, but it does mean that you, you know, anytime you hear voices, we say that that's a type of psychosis. Um, but then we have to ask ourselves, where is it coming from? Did it come from drug use? Does it come from actual schizophrenia? You can actually hear voices with uh, bipolar disorder. Um, but if somebody is suffering from depression without having schizophrenia, without having anything else, they can actually start to hear voices. And, and that can be... Um, that's a sign that the depression's either been pretty severe or it's been going on for a long time without it having been treated. Um, and so this person said, a lot of people don't realize you might hear voices of major depression. It's called depression with psychotic tendencies. That is, um, it's not my inner self that is talking to me either. There's three different voices and one of them wants me dead. I can't tell people this or talk about it because it freaks people out. And some people that I do tell assume I'm some dangerous person and run the in the other direction. Um, yeah, and so this is a, actually a female who wrote this. Uh, sometimes we attribute, you know, violence and thoughts, and violent thoughts to males more than females. Um, but no, there's a female who wrote this. It can happen to anybody. Um, but that's something that's very important too, because what if, I, what if somebody were to say, hey, you know, no, I just kind of hear voices, and they can be really negative, and they tell me all these things. You know, what does that mean? Do I have to worry that this person's gonna act on these voices? Well, yeah, actually we do. And that's one of the first questions I ask. So if somebody's coming in and they say, oh, doc, I'm hearing voices. Yeah, I have to get down to the root of it. Well, why are you hearing voices? Is it because you, you know, were you doing drugs? Um, do you have, has this been going on your whole life? Where are these voices coming from? But the, one of the most important things when it comes to hearing voices, knowing that it can come from really depression, anxiety, can come from a lot of different uh, aspects of mental health, is really what are these voices? Who are they? Are these people you know? Are they, you know, demonic voices? What kind of, what voices do you think you're hearing? But more importantly, what are they telling you? Are they telling you to hurt yourself? Are they telling you to end your life? Are they telling you to hurt somebody else? It's important to ask these questions because for somebody who's truly psychotic, who say schizophrenic, and they're hearing these voices, they might be influenced by them. They might actually act on whatever they are hearing. Um, and that can be, that's where it can get kind of dangerous. You want to make sure that you, they don't feel like they're going to act on it. It's very different for somebody to hear voices and the voices tell them, you know, you should really hurt yourself or you're no good. Usually the, the majority of people I hear in this particular situation where they have a depression or something and it's led to voices, the majority of these people will hear voices that tell them that they're no good, usually negative voices, um, telling them nothing's ever going to get better, telling them the why go on. They might not directly say end your life, but they do say, you know, why go on? It's over now. And, and so the person, you know, after a while you start hearing the same thing, it's almost like a torture, right? So you start hearing the same thing over and over. How long do you hear something for before you actually start to believe it? And you start to think that, yeah, maybe I am no good. You know, that can be really, really challenging. Um, but my question is, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know, yeah, I tend to be hearing these voices, how are we gonna react? I think it's okay to react with caution. I think that that's fair. I don't think that's a judgment call. It'd be more, I wanna know more. Well, explain a little bit more of this to me. What are these voices? Because this person might really be in a really bad place and need help right away. They might need to go to the hospital. They might need medication right away or something. Um, so that's the main thing. It's always about safety first. You know, you gotta feel safe and you gotta make sure that the other person's safe. You know, that's what it comes down to. And I think that that's one of the things that can be the scariest things or the stigma with mental illness is that the assumption is if somebody suffers from mental illness or they're hearing voices or something, okay, they're automatically dangerous. You know, automatically they're, they're dangerous. Um, but if you look at the statistics, at least, you know, 25% of the population suffers from mental illness. I don't think, I don't see, 
you know, 25% of the population committing crimes or freaking out or being dangerous in terms of mental illness. Um, and so that doesn't happen. This is why it's important to understand living with mental illness. A lot of people live with mental illness and they live quietly with it. We don't know about it because of the stigma associated with it. And so it, that's the part that can be really hard. Um, there was one more quote in here I wanted to find. Um, here it is. Uh, and this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about right here. So this is, this is where, you know, what, what does it mean to live with mental illness? This is what I think what it really means. This is the majority. This is the 25%. This is the people we don't hear who need a voice. It says, I tend to minimize my depression and anxiety. I don't think people really get how bad it gets, but that's because I want to appear strong, not fragile as some people think I am. I am not immune to shame and stigma. People have preconceived notions of what a depressed person should look and act like. Most are surprised to learn of my illness and don't even get me started on my diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. So with personality disorders, we should do a whole show on personality disorders. That's a, that's a whole nother show. And that I think, we, actually, I, that's probably a really good show to do. Um, it's a very interesting um, topic to deal with because if, and if you start reading about personality disorders and you're not guided through it, shall we say, um, you're going to think, oh my God, I've got all these disorders. I've got all these personality disorders. Well, if you look at what that means, personality disorders, um, it's a disorder of personality. Well, we all have personalities and guess what? We all have different qualities to our personalities. You know, we're all going to experience different highs and lows on our personalities and different characteristics. When do aspects or characteristics of our personalities become a disorder when they become prevalent in our lives and that's all that there is? Um, and, and we can't get beyond that. So I think that'll actually be an interesting show to, to do. But from this quote, what I really want to focus on is not so much the borderline personality disorder. It's everything else. I mean, I think this is so important. This is exactly what I'm talking about, where 25% of the population suffers from either depression, anxiety, mental illness. I mean, you can look this up. This is uh, not something I'm making up. This is the, the you know, um, the National Health uh, Institute. If you look at any of these websites that would talk about mental illness, they'll say some will say 20%, some will say 25%. I would dare say it's probably closer to 25% if you look at the NIH um, website. But this is the, the important part. This is, I think, what it really means for the majority of people who live with mental illness. I tend to minimize, have to minimize it because people wouldn't understand, which tells me on the one hand, that's great. I think a little self-control or a little not not telling people the extent of it, I think that can actually be protective in today's society because of the stigma associated with it. So I think it's, on the one hand, I think it can be prudent to not necessarily overshare. But on the other, on the other hand, when we're minimizing it because we're afraid of being judged, that can add another layer of stress. Um, I don't think people really get how bad it gets. And that's the other thing. It's the suffering and silence. It's pretty bad. I'm hurting. This is not good, but I can't really share my symptoms of depression. I can't really share my symptoms of anxiety. People, they're not going to get it. That's because I want to appear strong, not fragile as some people think I am. So this is the challenging part because she says that, um, she does say, say, does say, I am not immune to the shame and stigma, but listen to this. I want to appear strong, not fragile as people think I am. And there was another sentence here that links it really well. People have preconceived notions of what depressed a person looks like. Most are surprised to learn of my illness because most of us I do think that we think that if somebody's depressed or anxious or suffers from this, um, are going to be a fragile person that they're going to need help all the time. They're not going to be acting correctly. We're going to help them. And this person, you know, hits the nail on the head with this one. It's because I want to appear strong and not fragile. I think one of the things that we can do if we know somebody, if we have a friend or a loved one who does suffer from mental illness, um, 
is that to realize that there's a person just like we are, this is something that they are living with and healing from. But what I really like to think of is what, what, as a friend or family member, I want to think of what are we healing towards? What are we doing to live with mental illness? Because otherwise we're just dying from mental illness. And I don't want people to, you know, we say that people are living from mental illness, but I wonder really how many people are dying from mental illness, not because they're necessarily committing suicide, um, which is a whole nother show on itself as well. But, you know, is this really life? If I have to go through life and I have to keep everything secret, if I have to feel like I have to minimize everything, I can't talk much, um, you know, and I'm feeling exhausted and I'm feeling tired and I'm feeling like nothing's good, but I can't share that. I don't know that we can say that we're living with mental illness. It seems like we're dying with mental illness um, because what kind of a life is that? Are we really moving ahead? So that's one of the things that I think I want to focus on in the show too. It's important to understand and share with people what it means to live with mental illness. But what I really want to focus on, and we'll focus on this on the last segment of the show is I think I want, I think that if somebody's suffering from mental illness, um, I want them to think that they're not um, healing from mental illness. I think that they're healing towards life. I always want to keep that focus of, yeah, I'm going to heal, but I'm not going to focus on my wounds. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to die to mental illness. Does not mean that I'm not going to have to carry it as a cross, but I'm going to die to it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that can mean for us as Catholics um, and in our faith base uh, in our in our last segment. There's a few more quotes here that I thought were important to um, talk about um, because uh, this one was important to, let me see here, where did that go? Oh, here it is. That my post-traumatic stress disorder comes and goes. I'll go months and be perfectly fine, even, great even. And then one thing will happen. It doesn't have to be a big thing. And my whole world comes crashing down. I don't have to be sick 24-7 for my illness to be real and my affect and affect my life in drastic ways. So this is one that was important because I was thinking with PTSD, this person um, talks about how it'll come and go. A lot of people with PTSD is just kind of there and it's under the surface and, and they're living with it, but it can come and go. There can be moments of stress. One of the challenging things with PTSD um, is, and this is really hard to understand uh, unless you've gone through it, is you went through this trauma and now you carry this mental illness and because of something somebody else did or because of a foreign situation, um, now all of a sudden I'm affected the rest of my life. And that can be really hard to deal with because with PTSD, I'm not thinking so much like, you know, if you, if you were in a car accident, if you were a soldier in war, that's one thing. But there's a lot of patients who suffered from abuse in their childhood, from things that they don't understand. Why did this person do this to me? And now because of what they did, the rest of my life, I have to suffer. And that can be really hard, especially when it comes to forgiveness or when it comes to thinking of uh, how to get past it. Um, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about dying to mental illness and moving forward in our Catholic faith. All right. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Louis Sandoval show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for joining us as always. Today, we're talking about what does it mean to live with mental illness? Um, that can be a tough topic to talk about because as we've been reading some of these quotes of what people experience, um, sometimes we feel like we don't have a voice. Sometimes our, our, uh, our friends, family members who suffer from mental illness might feel alone. Uh, they might feel like they don't have a voice and they might feel like the only person they can actually trust or talk to is their doctor, their psychiatrist. Um, and that's about it because, um, 
who else is going to understand, right? And so I would dare say as friends, family members, if we're going to reduce the stigma or we're going to help somebody who is suffering from mental illness live a life of normalcy, I think more than anything else, it's important to lend that ear and to kind of take that step back and really try to say to ourselves, let me learn a little bit about what they're going through. What is it that they're experiencing? Um, you know, another quote, some of these quotes are great because it really brings to light what's happening. And sometimes they start sounding the same after a while, but if you notice there's a common theme, this one is simply, what's it like to live with mental illness? Simply the fact that I hide so much. I have so much inside of me that never comes out for several reasons. Either I can't find the words to accurately express a feeling, or more commonly, I don't want to be more of a bother to people than I already feel. I feel like I need constant validation and that my problems are so redundant, but I keep them to myself a lot more than people around me realize because I know I'm already annoying enough. And so, you know what? That's one of the things that can be um, really, really hard uh, with mental illness because for somebody caring for mental illness, it can be hard, you know, and sometimes we, it's easy to get annoyed because it doesn't make sense. You know, just like we were saying, something as simple as getting up, something as simple as, hey, brush your teeth, shower, something as simple as, hey, let's go out for real quick, let's just go shopping, let's go to the grocery store, I should pick a few items. To a person suffering from mental illness, that can be so hard, it can be really, really devastating. Um, and then here's an interesting thing that happens. Um, when somebody does suffer from mental illness, a common symptom is that not only they're kind of aware that they're being annoying to people, um, but or that they can be, or that it seems like people are being annoyed, that's what they perceive. The other person might not have even been, been annoyed. They might not have been bothered, um, but that's the perception because the, sometimes people, the self-esteem, the sense of self for somebody suffering from mental illness is so low that they just assume that they're no good and that they're bothering people all around. One of the things that can happen is somebody will leave a conversation. Let's say that they're at work. This is so common that a lot of my patients tell me this. You know, they're, they're at work or they're talking to a friend. They're having a conversation. They're talking in a room. They walk out of the room and immediately the thoughts that come to them are they're talking about me. They're saying bad things about me. I totally said the wrong things. I messed up. I should have said this. I should have said that. And then they want to go back and fix it, but then they don't know how. And all this is happening in the mind without it even necessarily being true. They don't know that that's the case. And the people in the room, if they do go back and try to fix it or what they think in their mind they need to fix, if they go back in there and say, oh gosh, I'm so sorry I said this wrong, the people in the room then are really going to be like, well, what's going on? Like, not that even, I wasn't even thinking that. But for somebody suffering from mental illness, the perception can be really, really hard. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up in the show is living with mental illness can be hard, but <clears throat> somebody suffering from mental illness, I, what I really want to, ask is, are you living with mental illness or are you dying with mental illness? Because it's, it, sometimes it feels like you're not living life. And what I want to think for us as Catholics, and if we're going to move forward and if we're going to heal towards something, I want us to heal towards life, heal towards the healing power of Christ. Um, one of the things that I would say is Christ kept saying, you have to die to yourself uh, in order to follow me. I think part of dying to yourself, you know, that we so commonly think of when Christ says die to yourself, I always think of like the time that, that, that the man came up to Christ and said, you know, gosh, I already follow all the commandments and I do all this stuff. What else do I need to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And Christ tells him, well, sell everything you have, you know. And we always think that, or at least in my mind, I should say, I think that dying to self sometimes means, well, you got to give up all the good things in life 
and follow Christ. And so, you, you know, you got to give up all your material wealth. You got to give up all these things, all anything that brings you pleasure in life. Uh, you have to give up to follow Christ. That's part of dying to yourself. Sure. I'll give you that. That's definitely a part of it. I think that we have to look at the whole picture though. I think that if uh, we're going to follow Christ, we also have to die to the negative part of ourselves because this is where the humility comes in. And this is where the part of realizing that Christ is more in charge than I, than I think. And, and if I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling like I'm nothing, I have to die to those thoughts too. I have to put that aside and I have to start to build my self-esteem and realize that I mean something to Christ because that could be a sin too. If God gave us life, if God gave us value, and if we know that our value comes from Christ, then for me to say, oh, I'm nothing, I don't mean anything, I'm kind of making God a liar and that could be a problem too. That's absolutely not part of our faith. This is where I say we need to die to I shouldn't say die to mental illness because we're going to carry that. If, if, if somebody's suffering from that, they carry that. Um, but I think that we have to learn how to die to some of the symptoms of it, how to die to some of the lies that come with it, how to die um, to some of the negative thoughts, uh, whether it be from voices that people might be hearing or from self-talk. We're really, really good at giving ourselves negative self-talk. So we have to die to that. What does that mean? I like the quote from St. Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 to 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I think this is one of the most important quotes that we can think of when we think of, hey, how do I move forward with this cross? What do I do with it? You know, if I suffer from mental illness, it seems like nobody wants me around. I don't even want me around because my self-esteem is so low. What does that mean for me as a Catholic? I think that while we're living with mental illness, we have to die to mental illness if that's the case because we have to die to the lies that come with it. <clears throat> the crucified Christ you know, I have been crucified with Christ. That means that I have to accept the fact that, you know, in this world, there's going to be suffering. That's just what's going to happen. I'm not saying that living mental illness is going to be positive if we do this, but there's going to be suffering. But it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I think that if I can die to the negativity of this and realize that I'm not a label, which is really what I like to tell my patients, it's like, look, you're living with this. We have to give a diagnosis. I have to know what I'm treating, <clears throat> but I would never tell anybody that they are an infection. You know, if somebody had an infection in their leg, they're not an infection. That's not what they are, but you know, we're very good at labeling. Oh, you are depressed. Like that's what you are. Um, as a, as though that's part of your entity. No, that's a cross that you have to bear, but it's like diabetes. Nobody says, well, you are diabetes. Um, you know, you are uh, in terms of that's what you are. Um, no, you, you, are dealing with diabetes, you're being treated for diabetes, uh, say high blood pressure, you have high blood pressure, okay, you have depression. You might be depressed in that moment, that might be the emotion you're experiencing, but again, an emotion is not part of your essence, it's not part of who God made you, it's an experience that we can have here on this planet, it's a symptom that we can have, but it's not who you are. I think that if we're gonna die to mental health or uh, chronic mental health or say chronic physical health as well, if somebody's, if somebody is suffering from having to go get dialysis three times a week, which what kind of, you know, that's a really difficult life. I have to put everything on pause and in order to survive because my kidneys don't work, 
three days a week, four days a week, two days a week, whatever it is, everything has to stop and I have to go get dialysis. That's kind of what living mental illness is like too. It's like sometimes things need to stop and I need to get this this dialyzed. I need to get this cured. That's a really hard way to live. But am I going to define myself as I am dialysis or I am this? No, I'm doing this in order to, in order to live. I'm going to set aside my negative self-talk for a while and I'm going to give myself a chance to think that something positive because that's what God thinks of me in order to live. What I like about this quote from St. Paul as well is, how do I die to mental illness? Well, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, which means that I kind of wake up every day and I say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm just here on the planet and I'm going to go through the motions, but I want those motions to come from you. I'm going to get up and I'm going to assume that you're the one guiding me through this. I'm going to, in a way, I'm just going to let you be my hands. I'm going to let you be my feet. I'm going to let you be my voice. And I'm not going to assume that I, I'm in control. That's one of the things that's, that, you know, is, is one of the biggest fallacies is that we think, oh, I'm in control of things or I always have to be in control. And we forget that God is working in our lives. And sometimes God is more in control than we are. We forget that God is the one who's guiding us and we want to force ourselves to, to make things right. When sometimes we just kind of got to stop and say a prayer and let God fix it for us. We got to believe that God's working in our lives and he's willing to do that. He's willing to work with us. I'm not saying it's a magical, you know, miracle is going to happen every time, but definitely allowing God to work in our lives and realize that this is a team effort. Um, so one of the things that's important here too, is I do not set aside the grace of God. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And this is the key. This is the key in terms of not just dying to ourselves, dying to our chronic physical illnesses, dying to our chronic mental illnesses, but dying also to our sins. Um, This is all important. We're body, mind, spirit, and we got to think about this. How do we live? I know our focus is on mental illness. How do I live with mental illness? Well, by dying to it, really, because I do not set aside the grace of God, and this is what it comes down to. This is where I take that step aside and say, God, help me out through this moment. I'm feeling depressed. I think I just said something wrong. I walked out of the room and I know that they're talking about me. I know that I said something wrong or boy, I'm having these thoughts, you know, these hallucinations. Um, I'm hearing voices. God, I'm going to take a step right now and just say, help me out here because I don't know exactly what's going on. I want you to take over for it. Um, I do not set aside the grace of God. That means God is the one working through me for if righteousness could be gained through the law Christ died for nothing. And he's talking about the law here. He's saying if righteousness could be gained through the law, through man's law. And this is where, if we're going to look at it this way, what does the law really mean? The law really means anything that I do. So anything that we do here on earth and, and the laws that we have set on earth, whether they be, you know, laws where you shouldn't take a red light when you're driving, you got to stop at the red light. That's, that's a man-made law. It's a good law, right? It's a safe law, it's a safety law. But also the law in terms of diagnosis, diagnosis is a law, it's a medical law, right? If we look at it that way, we can say, hey, you got to, um, you know, you got to come up with a diagnosis and this is the medical way to do it. And it's a law. Well, if, you, if righteousness, if, if the way I'm going to gain heaven is through man's law, then Christ died for nothing. And Christ really came to show us that it doesn't matter what the medical law is in terms of what you've been diagnosed with. The medical law says that you have depression and you have these symptoms medical law says that you have anxiety and this could be true. The medical law says that you have psychosis and this could be very true. You know, we do have to respect that law, but that's not what's going to get us to heaven. What's going to get us to heaven is realizing that God is working through us. And that's really the key. That's the most important thing that I want that 
is the take-home point for today is that we can live with mental illness, but I think that we need to die to mental illness as well and realize that mental illness does not define us. The grace of God does. There's always hope for us because Christ died for us. And if it were strictly the laws here on earth that I'm going to be judged by, then yeah, Christ would have died for nothing. So for all of our listeners, what I want you to take home today is if you're living with mental illness, be kind to yourself. If you're living with somebody with mental illness, take a step back, take some time to listen to them, to try to understand them. And really for all of us, regardless of what we're living with, chronic mental illness, chronic physical illness, we got to take that time to die to ourselves, to die to the idea that all these things are so important, not that we're not going to take care of them, but to remember, especially during Lent and as Easter's coming up, that Christ died and rose from the dead and we have a place in heaven where all these things are going to go away and then we're going to really, really feel like ourselves. Until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval. We'll see you in the clinic.